Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, coach at Top Step Training, and I'm here with Marilyn. Hey, how's it going? Super happy to be here. Marilyn Chicota. You can find everything with me at mcc.coach. Um, and yeah, how are you? What's going on? You raced over the weekend? Dude, we both raced. Yeah, it's good. Hadn't jumped in a little bike race in a couple years and jumped in a little local bike race just to see where things are at, see if I could still do it, see if I still liked it. And yeah, it was good. Went well. Uh, men and women raced together, so that was fun. Got to race with a lot of my friends and came down to a sprint finish. So for the ladies, took the win there. I'm always happy if it's a sprint finish. I feel like <laughs> I've got at least a chance. Um, and I like to do that. It's fun. I found a little gap and um, like those high speed dicey fast sprints in the butt. so <laughs> suits my character so that so that was good it was a lot of fun and yep gonna go to chino valley this weekend and do the um chino gravel race there's a 60 and a 115 remember we did that 115 ride together i've also raced it it's brutal but just gonna do the 60 i raced that again like two two years ago i raced it and won the women's there two years ago so go back and just see of course it always depends how the day goes flats, mechanicals, um, who else shows up, all the things you have no control over. But go out there, ride my bike hard, see how I do on the dirt. And I know the course well, so that'll be fun. And um, yeah, so that's, we're ready for it to cool off in the dirty tea, dude. We had like one <laughs> week where it teased us. It was like, oh, it's going to be 90. Just kidding. It's 105 and 110 every day again. So all of us are a little, little rough around the edges, overly tanned and um, <laughs> looking forward to some cooler weather. But tell me about, we talked about last one, you were going to like one of my favorite places in the world, Gerard Mir, where like so near and dear to my heart. I saw your photos and I was like, oh, I love that place. How was your race? Um, well, I guess the race itself was absolutely awesome. I mean, I, the, you know, the atmosphere in the European races just really, uh, really outshines the American races where like the Euro techno is like blasting at the beginning and the DJ is getting everybody involved and all the, all the people behind me are all doing these like massive cheers that everyone knows the words to. And everyone's like jumping up and down and clapping and, and, and yeah, you know, it's like six 30 in the morning and they are just blasting techno, like the whole town, but the whole town's already up to watch the race with like signs made and everybody's volunteering. And the course is just lined with people like, you know, the entire climbs, like, like, a mile and a half, just like people the entire way, just out there cheering, like costumes on, music playing. So yeah, the the support there from the town and, and like everybody that was there was just incredible. So that's, I mean, that vibe is like worth going to the race um, alone. Um, but then, yeah, you're like climbing on, on some of these climbs where the road is still painted from the tour. Um, like Pino, uh, who retired, was from that area. So it was all like I said, Pinot all over the roads and I was like French flags. And yeah, it was just, it was the, the course and the atmosphere was the best I've ever seen. Like it, it was better than challenge Roth and that's hard to beat. Um, yeah. So very cool race experience, very cool town. Everyone there was, was super friendly and awesome. Um, but yeah, I would say it, my race was like, I had good power. Um, I rode pretty well and I ran like, decently well given um you know given how hard the ride was but i just got outclassed by a bunch of like 25 year old kids that have apparently no fear on the descents and just rode rode the descents incredibly fast i i feel like i kind of rode it with a little bit more um dad hesitancy where i i really didn't want to go over the edge because you know that's uh that's bad on a lot of reasons and and i saw some people just just going going berserk um yeah i kind of would like make up grounds on, on or at least stay the same on all the climbing and then just get worked over on all the descents so I kind of slowly move my way back in the pro field um but either way it was a super fun race and uh and yeah like i did hold good power so that was good that's awesome yeah i i, I mean like i said i raced in france every year of my pro career and i absolutely just it was my favorite place in the world to race. So the, the crowds, the support, the energy is just so different. But also I try and explain to you, to people that every 
part of the world has a different style of racing. So, you know, there's a U.S. style of racing. There's a very different style of racing in Asia. There's a very different style of racing in Europe and in particular in France. And you can explain that and talk about it a lot, but until you actually experience it yourself, you grasp a real true understanding now, like when someone says that, oh, yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, Brazil is a completely, again, a completely different style of racing. Like, and really you have to come into these types of races with not, Hey, this is how I race and I'm going to try and do well like this. You have to learn and understand what the style of racing is in that part of the world and see if you can match up and race that way to do well. And it, it's a really cool thing because you get to broaden your tool set. You know, if you're really great racer in America, that's a certain style of racing and, and you, um, you know, you, you, the dynamics of the race, the courses, the way they play out, everything is, is a certain way. And then, you know, you can't take that same strategy and that same mindset into European racing. It's just different. It's just, and, and until you learn that, you can read and read and read. And, and you know, we all do our best to uh, relay that message and try and explain it and try and teach it. But sometimes it is just even, a, you know, someone's experienced as you until you are in the fire and you really get into it. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is just a completely different style of racing and um, how you execute the course, how you execute and we're going to talk about this a lot today, uh, your strategy, your nutrition, everything all of a sudden is quite a bit different at this with this style of racing. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I mentioned this after the last triathlon I did in the middle of the summer, but it's just like even the swim start is insanely aggressive. I mean, not just like fast, but just aggressive. And, and yeah, like, you know, you get out of the water and the people that have been like, hitting you in the face for 25 minutes straight look at you, look over you and smile and they're like excited to get on the bike with you and 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 yeah just no hostility but that how you swim here is like right on top of the person next to you and that's fine um and, and that's just starts are even worse like it's just like oh my god <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean i had like i had to do breaststroke for a minute because i just got hit so many times where i was like i i'm like having a mini panic attack i just need to like get away breaststroke for a minute and get back in the mix because i like can't handle this it makes me think back to those like videos from the 80s of people with with getting bashed with like the floaties or whatever to practice i feel like i need to like do that like i need yeah. amy to like hold my head under in the middle of the swim set and have me try and keep swimming it's just just, just because that's like what that, that's how you swim here apparently and it's it's fine you know what and and to your to your point with that conversation is that like i actually always had my best swims in in france weirdly because for these <laughs> dynamics so people will be like how is that possible when you listen to this however if you're a classic swimmer who's actually good fast swimmer nice clean open water and organized pace lines and fast starts uh, like the dynamic in America suits someone who is classically a really fast swimmer, even a good open water swimmer. Now for me, I wasn't a great swimmer, you know, I, that's where I struggled. And these big chaotic pack swims where it's much more about just not getting uh, thrown off your focus when it's chaotic and you can just keep moving forward and handle that and get drug out by the big group and then just sit in that group. And you're not, it doesn't, it doesn't really worry you to, have all of that happen to you because nobody nobody's swimming fast in that chaos right like nobody is so if you're like well i'm i'm not swimming fast but they're not swimming fast either but i am not getting uh you know distracted by this whatsoever and so you just end up i always had actually my best swim times there or in relationship to my competition i was really close to them versus nice. in North American races where it was a clean start and a fast swimmer could like get off the line in a group and then able to access their actual speed as a good, like, uh, you know, an actually technically good swimmer, then they could get away from me and the gap between me and the fast swimmers would be enormous, you know, and then I had to make all that up on the bike. So, so again, in that line of, you know, embracing what type part of the world you're in and what type of racing it is, that swim dynamic is a huge huge part of that for sure yeah yeah like guys run and you know everybody everyone is swimming on other people's hips and just like grabbing the water basically on people's hands because their arms are so close to each other 
And, and yeah, it was not like, Hey, let's get through this as fast as we can. It was just utter chaos. Whereas I feel like you're right in America, people are like, Hey, let's work together. Let's get in like an efficient pace line and I'll get on your feet. And like, maybe we'll even roll turns and work together. Um, you know, in, in the, in these races, yeah, it's just like, I'm going to swim right next to you and I'm going to push on your shoulder and this is going to slow us both down, but this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it for 20 minutes straight (laughs) and we're going to go slower, but that's what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, but yeah, I guess Euro racing is kind of the topic of, of the day because over the weekend, the Ironman World Championships in Nice happened for, for the males anyways. And I mean, what, what, a very, what a very cool race to watch and, and just kind of see how it unfolded. Um, were you able to catch any of the coverage? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, obviously it was like with the time difference, it was a little bit hard, but right. I did catch as much as I could. And, and those guys went, I mean, that I've raced that course, like we've talked about, and that they went so fast. Amazing, amazing, amazing job. It's like a big applause. That's the sport has come so far. That's they're, you know, they're going so fast on such a tough course. And I think, you know, we all, knew that ahead of time how tough this course was but then the added stress the days before on how hot it was suddenly I don't think anyone really predicted that that it was going to be that warm I certainly didn't I I certainly didn't think it would be like a no wetsuit swim and that heat was going to be an actual factor that's going to determine some of the results of the race and it it really did you know there's parts that we we knew based on the course but the the heat factor that was thrown in the last minute, I think, threw a real curveball. So, real kudos to how fast those guys went. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't even just non wetsuit. The water was like seventy five. So that's like I feel like you get legit hot if you're racing in that. Um, yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of interesting conditions in that race. But yeah, so point of the episode today is not just to kind of dissect the race, but. So I see if we can glean some learnings on people that are going to world championship in Nice next year, or I feel like a lot of these lessons could probably be applied to a a lot of hilly races, maybe hilly European races, but kind of like that style of racing. And yeah, using this as kind of um, an example to, to, yeah, gain some information on how the race played out and how to race effectively in some of those conditions. I listened to a lot of the interviews afterwards and so many of them said that they appreciated how hard this course was and how it felt like real racing and how triathlon should be. And I think that that was really interesting. It's obviously going to play, like we just talked about, different types of courses are going to suit different types of athletes. Kona's always been a certain type of athlete is going to do well there and maybe never give the opportunity to another one. But, um, you know, it was, it was interesting to hear so many of them say the same thing. And even the ones, the ones that did very well, so maybe they would be skewed that that is in their favor. However, I heard it from the ones that actually didn't perform at the level that they had hoped to even. They said, you know, this was like a really tough test and uh, a great course for, for hard, good racing that they like to see for triathlons and Ironmans. What was your perspective on that and, you know, being a a pro male yourself and, and watching how it all played out. And I know you coached one male professional that was even in the race. So. Um, yeah, no, I agree. That was definitely the consensus across the board, even yeah, from people that they're like, Hey, listen, I know this course doesn't suit me because if you're like a bigger guy then climbing, doing that much climbing is going to be a challenge. But I think everyone appreciated a different dynamic where it's not just that same, that same like story of, you know, you know, a little bit, basically how Kona is going to play out. You're right. You know, like how, how the pack is going to be and when it, there's going to potentially be surges. It's like when you do the shootout every week, you kind of know, well, here's the places where it gets hard. And sure. everybody kind of knows that, knows that about Kona as well. Right. Well, it, you know, we know if we can do these three things well, then we can ride with the group and like how to then how to execute the run. And, and yeah, I think that everyone appreciated a race that wasn't, a, you know, a procession of bikes all in a row because, you know, at, even at um, 10 meters or 12 meters, you still get a draft. And then when there are 25 guys in a line, everybody kind of knows, like if you're that, that last few guys, 
you're just getting sucked along, you know, adding a few media motos and you're just kind of coasting and doing a little bit of surging back there. And I mean, not exactly, but, but it's, it's much different than a course like this where, I mean, there was, there was no real big groups on this, on this bike course once they started climbing. And so, yeah, I think it made it kind of a little bit more honest for, for everyone. And, and yeah, I think everyone appreciated that. Right. I think everyone wants everyone to do equal work and that's everyone is like, you know, wants fair racing. And I think that having a real tough man's course kind of supports that fair, hard racing instead of just kind of playing, um, playing like, you know, trying to get the dynamics to work in your favor, just actually having to ex- execute a hard race. So yeah, I agree. Everyone seems super excited about the course. And I think everyone kind of got to experience what I was talking about with like that crowd support and getting like the entire town behind the race. And so, yeah, I heard a lot of good things about the, the atmosphere there and it actually feeling really like a world championship, even though it wasn't Kona maybe more so than St. George. Like I hate to knock St. George. I love it. Great place. But, but it definitely, the vibe seemed to be in Nice that it was much, they, they did a better job of like getting that whole atmosphere to feel, to feel like a world championship and like it deserved to be, um, yeah, get that title there. It's not only the course that is important. That's picked for a world championship atmosphere, but it's the culture supporting the sport. And I know in France, there's a huge support, you know, people get excited about sports, whether it's F1 racing or bike racing, triathlon, you know, they really, I remember when I used to race there, even people who didn't even know what triathlon was came from the city and they just lined the streets because this big sporting event was going on. They're really excited to watch it. So, you know, I think Ironman did a good job. Like we say, we love St. George, but perhaps that region doesn't necessarily appreciate sport quite as much. And so it's not in their priority to to come out and cheer on a course all day now maybe for some people but not in like the overriding numbers where in a place like France the culture of getting excited for cheering for for sports in general you know soccer f1 bike racing um, anything they love to come out and cheer and that creates just a, a more dynamic and fun and exciting championship type race so I think you know I think there's something to be learned from that as well and pretty cool experience for sure yeah yeah super cool environment um and i mean i heard a a story and i think it was um from clement mignon the the french guy who lives in nice uh it was might have been a different french man who lives around that area but and they said that on their long runs building up cars would just randomly stop and like cheer for him because they knew he was racing in the world championships and they, you know, he won Nice there over the summer. And so it's kind of like a famous figure there. And, and yeah, people would just pull over and like start clapping for him as he was running by. So when you get that kind of support on your long runs there, I don't know about you, but that's never happened to me in Tucson. So, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe people pulling over and yelling at you, but not cheering. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that just goes to show the kind of vibe, um, you know, just for sport they have there in general. Um, but yeah, so let's dive into the race and talk about like a little bit maybe on how it unfolded, but also what the key takeaways that people can kind of learn from and maybe think about uh, things to do to help get ready for if they're going to race there in the future. I think the most common theme I heard of afterwards was, and, and I talked to my athletes about this, but maybe didn't emphasize it enough. And I think the heat also sort of magnified it even more is that the, how you execute this course really comes down to being able to ride those climbs at threshold or just slightly under, which normally in an Ironman you wouldn't do. You know, that's uh, so if it's hot and you're under stress and so it becomes harder to digest nutrition, but being able to. Sorry, can I can I jump in here quick? Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to forget the swim. Can we start with the swim oh, and then yeah. move on? I thought um, I thought we I thought we I guess I got confused that we already we already kind of covered the swim with the <laughs> with the um with the talking about the dynamics of it but yeah absolutely. Um so I well I do think that the shape of the course and the nature of the water there is a bit different. Um it is like a little bit saltier if you will so it does you do get a little bit more buoyancy there. Uh it, even though so if it was wetsuit that would make an even bigger difference. But then it did look like especially like in the, in the coverage and then 
they were talking about it too, but there was a real change in the water from close to shore via further away. It got definitely got a little bit more choppy. And then there, it was also like that funny kind of M shape as well. So you had a lot of like a lot of pretty sharp turns. And when you have that many sharp turns, especially in varying conditions, it, it's a really like it changes, you know, the pace, especially when it's, you know, a Euro race where the pace isn't going to be as smooth anyways. So those big, big, like 270 degree turns around the, around some of those buoys were, especially the ones out in the open water where the water was rough, um, where, were some big places where some of the, the packs kind of got broken up on this one a little bit because, you know, there's a little bit of a surge. It's a little bit more challenging with, with the open water. And so I think that, that, yeah, it was, it was a much more dynamic than your kind of like square lake swim. Like you picture like a Lake Placid course or something where you just kind of like do a square a couple of times, not a big deal. Uh, I think the cornering and the rough water really kind of separated it and, and made it a little bit, more surgy so people were already surging before they got on the bike which is maybe something people aren't used to having to do and i think even if you were just trying to swim your own race in the in the amateur field you just kind of end up surging a little bit with these kind of these big corners and like that change in the water condition so so i think the rate the day started out with a little bit more um effort surging than people are used to for an iron man yeah and if it's if the water's hot you have to be super careful that you're not going to overheat when you're doing that. Right. So like you start your day in a pretty, in pretty warm water with that. You're not just swimming. Like you say, a steady swim like that. There is a really, really high risk of overheating, even though it became non-wetsuit. It's still, if it's, you know, salt water and 75 degrees, that's pretty hot water. And you have to really regulate, like, how's my core temperature in that kind of dynamic and that kind of heat. Yeah. And, and again, like, yeah, you, the salt water and you're getting hot. So like, you know, the, the, you're like starting to edge towards getting dehydrated an hour in when you're getting out of the water, uh, just dealing with the salt water and, and yeah, like the, the slightly warmer conditions for sure. Um, all right. I just want to make sure we kind of talked a little bit more about the swim, but I do think you're right. Kind of the, um, the meat and potatoes, this is going to be the bike course because there was a thing that was the most different and really set things up. Uh, for how people are able to execute the run, obviously. So, so yeah. So let's get back to the bike course, which had some crazy climbing, and that was the the big differentiator, or one of the big differentiators between the that course and say a North American course. That and holy man! Even though people knew the descending was hard, how many people crashed? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, like Leanda and I were actually chatting the other day. We were riding and we had a little, a little, we laughed a little bit. We were just, you know, trying to, trying to be funny with one another. So we were talking about both of us have raced there. And I said to her, you know, we were, you'd be with a group of people. And sometimes I'd be descending with people thinking like, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a decent descender. I'm pretty good at descending. That's kind of a strength of mine. And I would see someone being like, man, they're, they come zooming around me, man, they're taking that corner kind of hot. And then whoop, they'd go flying off the side or wipe out. And I was like, yeah, dang, man, it's pretty hot. Like, they probably shouldn't have taken it that hot. And so we were having a little laugh about how there's a really fine line on that course between, you know, taking risks and being smart so that you, at the end of the day, you got to get to the run, right? And so, you know, the, there's the dynamic of the climbing and how that's going to be executed and how different that is pacing-wise, nutritionally, everything. But then it's not like you get a break on the descending. It is also hard to get nutrition and fluids and not feel stressed on those very technical descents. It's not like it's just a free ride home. So, you know, the better your descending skills are. And I think equipment choice is so important. You know, I think some people maybe didn't put enough weight on how important it is to make sure that your bike handles really well on those descents. And now that they've ridden them and they're trying to ride them at speed, they have a better, maybe they would have chosen different equipment to be able to handle those corners better with the, you know, with how technical they are and the equipment they chose. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how much a disc helps you with climbing and that kind of hard descending. I mean, very, very hard, twisty descending. A disc is very, very rigid. So it might be more aero, but they're meant, discs are designed like for the track and for straight lines and for aerodynamics. 
they're not meant for hugging turns and giving a little flex, right? In fact, they're designed specifically, they're a solid wheel to have no flex. And so if you're trying to, especially for the professionals that are going really fast and they're trying to hit those turns with a little bit of risk in mind and really hit the turns and hug them, you know, do you want to be up over the front of your handlebars in an aggressive TT position, water bottle near the front where it's the, the weight of the bike is on, you know, primarily on the front wheel, and then a really, really rigid back wheel that doesn't doesn't hug the turns. I mean, and then you're trying to take them at speed. I, you know, I think these are things that people really need to put a little bit more weight on when they're looking at these types of course. You look at the tour riders and the equipment choices that they make depending on different courses is so I know that they can change the equipment every single day and they have everything at their fingertips, but it's only one day and you have absolute control over the equipment that you're going to choose for that day. So people might do that differently now that they've actually raced that course at speed. Uh, yeah. I mean, at, in, in Gerard's mirror, I was the, there was one other athlete that rode a disc, but besides myself and had I had a different wheel, I would have ridden it because I definitely, felt like I could not take, you know, without that flex, I could not take the corners as well, um, even on a TT bike than I could if I had just a little bit more compliance in that rear wheel. So I think it definitely does make a difference for for, for cornering uh, if you have options for, for wheels like that. Um, and yeah, may, like maybe a shallower front wheel. It didn't seem like it was too windy, but, but you know, having more control in the front wheel is always nice. You, you um, said you looked at quite a few bike files and, you know, had a chance to look at some Strava files and you had access to the, the, the professional that you had racing on the course. I had a couple athletes racing there. Let, uh, tell me a little bit about what you saw in those files when you were looking at them. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I looked at a few files from, from the race and, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I saw is the amount of time, yeah, that people spent riding right around threshold power on the climb and, or yeah, on the climbing bits of the course. And it was, you know, the low end that I saw was like 75 minutes and the high end was like 90 minutes of, again, like being at threshold. And that is, that is a lot of time at threshold. And then the other thing that I saw, especially from the riders who did well in the race, was that they were over threshold, but not crazy, like, you know, low VO2 max, just kind of slightly over threshold for the places where it was like 8 to 12%. Um, and and then, yeah, they kind of settled right back down into, into threshold after the really steep parts of the climb. Um, some of the riders who it you know, trying to judge from where they were in the group and then looking at their file after, maybe they were kind of trying to hang on. They actually had a little bit less time at threshold and then a little more time in like the VO2 max area where it looked like they were kind of surging and maybe kind of like struggling to stay connected or just not quite as uh, smooth with their application of power. And and they had, so yeah, they had more time like kind of VO2 max and, and maybe a slightly less time in threshold. And I think that is, you know, that can really come back to haunt you when you're, when you're spiking the power a little bit like that. But, but to focus on the things that people did well is like spending a lot of time at threshold and be obviously being able to recover from that. And then the people that did really well spent the majority of the rest of the time in like when they were riding flats or ups was like, you know, that kind of tempo, tempo area, like normal Ironman power. So it was like, you know, two plus hours at like what you would consider maybe normal Ironman wattage and then 90 minutes at threshold. And then the rest of it was kind of like the descending and stuff. Um, so that's, that's a lot of time putting out power. So I, I can only imagine that, you know, if you were going to prepare for that, then really being really efficient when you're riding at threshold and, and doing a ton of work there so that you're able to ride there and then recover because that's a thing like we could, we could all like ride there but then having the ability to recover after doing that is uh is is going to be the thing that kind of differentiates that and also the, the big thing obviously would be being able to absorb calories at, at that effort because that's right you know, that's not easy to do you know and and it's not like you can say well i'll skimp you know i'll i'll fuel on the descent 
you, you probably aren't going to be able to fuel that well on the descent because of how technical it is. And so you've got to be fueling well on these climbs, but you're going so hard that could be pretty difficult. And it could be difficult. Let's say I've heard a lot of people say um, recently they've been trying in their Ironmans for the mm -hmm. effort. They're looking at the amount of, you know, effort they're putting out, the amount of kilojoules, and then they're, they're turning their guts to absorb, you know, 500, 600 calories an hour. If you're trying to absorb that while it's hot at threshold and VO2, and then, you know, that can, that could be, that's a lot different than even sitting at Ironman power in the heat. You know, that's just so much more stressful. So it's now it's heat and threshold and VO2, and you're trying to pound that amount of calories. You might have to adjust how you, you know, how much you're using. And, and it is, it's a, it's a battle a little bit because if you're working that hard, obviously you need more sugar, right? And you need more right. calories. So you're, you're putting out a lot more energy. So you need to put in a lot more energy, but are you going to be able to absorb that energy and really process it? Because there was a lot of people after, after the race that said to me, or I heard, I had a lot of GI distress on the run. And I'm guessing that that didn't come from the run. It came from exactly what we're talking about on the ride is that they had to ride pretty hard up those climbs and it was hot. And it's just, you know, when you're riding that hard and it's hot, your stomach absorbs calories different. So that's something to look at going back on that course again. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think really kind of playing around with fueling strategy and, maybe practicing that, right? Like trying to see if you can ride at threshold and absorb calories or, or the other thing is maybe working on if you can like how many calories you can actually take in, in one kind of like serving. So let's say you do the climb in an hour, like can you shove 400 calories in your mouth right after that and digest that? Or are you going to just have, end up having GI distress? So kind of like finding out how your limits for how and when you can take in calories so that you know, you can know how your body is going to respond to that because that's, you know, maybe you can try and make up for it when you get on top of the climb and maybe you're riding like a little bit easier back down to Ironman power. But, you know, can you actually absorb it if you're putting in, you know, like a lot of calories at once or is it just going to sit in your gut? And, um, and, yeah, and are you actually sweating a lot more? Do you need a lot more fluids as well? You know, right. because you're working so much harder than you normally would in an Ironman and then again, when you're doing those hard to technical descents, it's not like you're going to be taking your hands off the handlebars often to drink as much and as frequently as you would in a straight line type Ironman. So it's like a way up, like if you're working that hard in the climbs and you're sweating a lot more because you're working way harder, is there a point where you're getting a little bit dehydrated and you're you know, the calorie distribution or, or what you're able to absorb at that intensity is a struggle. And so now that combination causes massive GI distress on the run and, and people struggle there. So something to really, yeah. really look at, like what's going to work on a course like that completely different than your normal Ironman course. Yeah. I mean, and it kind of like harkens back to my Texas uh, last year where I didn't eat for a long time and tried to make it up and chug a bunch of water. And then had GI distress. And I did that on a highway. So imagine what this course would do to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that that, like what you're talking about, that timing and that distribution of like how you get that in your body is, is really important. And kind of knowing your limits on that and knowing like, hey, you can't just get to an aid station and chug three bottles of water, like plain water, and expect that to like sit well and not just flush your system, especially if you're, if you're, you know, a little bit hungry as well. So, so yeah, really, I think the fueling in these situations, you're right, is, is really tricky because yeah, it's hard, it's hard to nail exactly right when all these other factors are involved. And I know, I know we talked about the descent a little bit, but, but I don't know, you know, when like you're driving and, and you get really hungry and it's like, cause you know, unless you're driving, you know, the highway between Tucson and Phoenix, it's in general, a fairly high like cognitive demand, right? You don't want to get in an accident. So you're thinking a lot and your brain sucks up a bunch of sugar too. So if you're, if you're not the best descender or you need to focus a lot on these descents, then your, your brain is going to be ripping through glycogen that you might not have on board anymore. And so that's, that's another place where it's like, yeah, maybe you're not losing a bunch of calories to Watts, 
but you're probably losing some calories to just being really focused on staying alive on the descent and trying to go fast maybe. Uh, so, so yeah, I think there's a lot of places here to, to bleed calories and not as many places as in a normal race to get them in efficiently. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, there's an element of if you're nervous at all descending that, that takes a lot of energy out of you. So, you know, you really want to make sure that you check in with being relaxed on those descents and go at a pace that is something you're comfortable with and is in line with your skills. And if you go there, you know, it's, it's not a bad idea now that we've all seen the race. And, and even though you might've thought of this beforehand, but it's just, it's so much more clear that traveling a little there a little bit early, if you've never been there and you've never done these kinds of races and checking out the course, checking out those descents, that could really benefit you on just being familiar with the corners, what it's going to look like. You have an idea of what that looks like. Maybe you even get someone to drive you to the top of one of them and, and get to practice them a little bit and get a feel for it. So I think there's some good things to, to take away and learn for, you know, the years to come on it. And although, you know, this, this race is not new, uh, you know, it goes back all the way all the way to the eighties that people have been racing this one, even was the the long course championship. So maybe a lot of people have some experience on this course and you can, but people are going to want to check it out even more. So now that it's, you know, it's, it's right front and center on, on the world championships. Yeah. And to that point on the descending, I feel like, you know, maybe not everyone can become an amazing descender, but I feel like, the better you know a climb, the faster you can descend it. So if you get the opportunity to descend it 10 times and you know what to expect and you know the corners, you're going to be able to take those corners much faster than if you don't know what's coming. So, so yeah, I think that, you know, maybe you can't go there and learn how to descend like Rudy Von Berg, but maybe you can go there and learn the corners so that you can descend like fast for you. And I think that's, that's, yeah, that can be hard if you've never seen a climb, uh, descent, like you coming around a corner blind is, is tricky to know how much speed you can hold. So, yeah, I think that's, I think being able to session that descent, it could really help how fast you can actually descend or how comfortable you feel on race day. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's gonna, even the people who are listening to this and go, you know, well, I have to do most of my training on, on Zwift or indoors, <coughs> pardon me, just based on the, you know, where they're located and they're trying to prepare the best they can they're going to be able to design their training and their workouts to suit this a little bit better. They might do work that has threshold and under overwork just a little bit more. They're going to not be quite so afraid if they look at sessions or get prescribed by their coach sessions that have quite a lot of threshold work, not to be intimidated by, oh man, this is you know, more than 30 minutes worth of threshold work. This is a total of almost 90 minutes worth of threshold work. Seems like a lot. Well, it, well, yeah, it is. It is a lot. And that's what you're going to be faced with. So we need to be able to handle that. And, um, you know, maybe it will encourage people to step up their game to those level of sessions, knowing, okay, this is what it's going to take to race well on this type of course. And so that's an opportunity for people to get excited about pushing those boundaries a little bit more than what they're comfortable with in a normal Ironman. So really cool to see climbs like this and, and push that push that envelope even for people preparing on on Zwift and trainers and look at those sessions and go man that looks like a big big session to work towards and work up to and bite off but that could be a progressive goal like man by the time I get into my race build I want to be able to do that so some some cool motivation to pull away from this course as well yeah and and that being said too I think you know some of the people that did really well what I noticed from their power files is just how smooth they were I mean, you can't be smooth for an entire Ironman, but if you look at the climbing and look at how the, the pitch of the climb changes, you know, their, their power would kind of smoothly change with that. And I think that is very much a learned skill. So if you are doing this on Swift, I think something you can do is take it out of erg mode and learn how to pedal smoothly. You can do that on a trainer. You know, you can watch that power line, whatever your three second power or whatever, and keep an eye on that and really kind of feel how you put out smooth power and especially if you're doing something like over-unders i think that's a great place to really try and, and learn how to do that and how to make those kind of jumps in power because i think that's what you have to do when like when a climb changes from five percent to ten percent you need to be able to kind of turn that gas 
appropriately and not spike it and then kind of settle back in, which, you know, is what I'm guilty of as well. But so I, I think that it's a real opportunity to kind of really focus on being efficient because a course this hard where you've got to ride that much time at threshold or uh, even just to get up the climbs, like the, the more efficient you can actually pedal the bike, the, the better off you're going to be. And then the, the less amount of spikes, you know, that's a lot less surges, a lot less time where you're just like ripping through glycogen. So, so yeah, a good opportunity to, to focus on some cycling skill, even if it is on the trainer. Yeah. And I think also being aware that this type of course year bike time, you might be on the bike longer than what you normally are. So getting accustomed when it comes to being able to run well off the bike in a normal Ironman, let's say, let's take the, the, even the fastest rides there, right? Those guys in a normal Ironman are starting to ride right, right around four hours. Have we even seen a little bit of under four hours? So, and this was four and a half. So for the average person out there or the more, let's say the, the medium norm, if you're somewhere between five and six hours, you might be adding an hour onto your normal time. And so being prepared for that, not only from a conditioning standpoint and the aerobic base standpoint, but also just nutritionally as well, being prepared for that so that you're able to access your run once you hop off the bike, that you're not you're not taken back by, wow, I was, I was out there a lot longer than what I'm used to. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because it is, when you start adding an hour on to your Ironman, it, that gets long. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, this run, when we, when we hop off the, hop the, off the bike here and we look at this run, you just look at the profile, it looks, you know, it's pretty flat and nice and it is lined with crowds, which is, awesome and so fun oh my gosh it's just such a great great course for that but because it is it actually is kind of like a little slight it's very 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 slight it kind of goes like a little bit up to the center and a little bit down and then you know it sort of peaks in the middle every single time but it's it's so slight it's you don't really notice it until you're (laughs) until you're mid iron man then you maybe start to notice it a little bit (laughs) but i think you know that flat steady run also requires a lot of consistent effort and pressure and if it and it also was very hot on the day I think the heat I think going forward if people are thinking of this race you know please remember that it's not an entire race history isn't based off one day so it was hot this day and it could be hot again absolutely but it's traditionally not that hot so remember that when, if people start going crazy with when their preparation, they start to look at this course, you know, can it be hot? Yes, we're aware of that. Is it something you probably need to be prepared for? Absolutely. Is it the norm? Not generally, you know, so be prepared for both and keep that in mind when you're, when you're sort of debriefing this race and looking forward to next year for the women that are going next year. Um, but this run, you know, there is very little room for breaks it's just such a steady run and so if your nutrition if you if you're a little bit smoked from that ride and your nutrition's off that can be sometimes a hillier course is better because you can power up the hills and get some relief down the hills and a little bit of undulation and change that steady fast just keep the pressure on and the pedal on in the heat can also provide some some pretty good challenges there um, what did you notice with the, with the guys that you coached there and, and what they went through when they hit that run course? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of summed it up well, and that is the exact opposite from the bike course, right? Where, you know, you do just get to third in your Ironman gear and try and hold it as long as you can, you know, versus the bike, we're kind of all over the place. So it definitely, right. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rhythm course. Like it's a rhythm runner course. Um, and I think that, yeah, the people who ran well were able to stay, stay fueled and hydrated on the bike course. And I know that that's always the case, but I think that just given, you know, the fact that the bike was so hard that it just really made that shine a, a little bit more where you might be able to cover that up a little bit more and, and say a, a flatter bike course. But I think that, that or and and then maybe like you said a hillier run course where you do have that that those kind of like lulls in heart rate but i think that 
that combination really just screams for for explosions if you're not well fueled and if you're not staying cool because you know it was pretty exposed the whole time um and you know even though it is a, a rhythm course where you should settle into your own pace and just run it it can be kind of challenging if you're not used to running through lines of people cheering for you the entire time it's pretty easy to start out too hot and then you know have have a little bit of a fizzle fade there so so yeah i, I definitely a, <laughs> fizzle fade <laughs> yeah yeah I, I know it all too well unfortunately um but but yeah i think that it the people who kind of like you know stayed on top of that really really came through strong and and really the people that did a good job just maintaining that entire run, like always taking in fluid, always taking in calories, just staying on it the whole time and staying using that to stay really focused uh, because it is, yeah, it's a course where you had to stay focused. You had to stay on the gas pedal and you had to stay like pounding, you know, pounding the calories and pounding the hydration and, you know, staying cool with ice and everything else. So it was, you know, you really had to be focused in order to, to maintain speed the entire time. And, you know, a lot of people did, um, you know, we saw some pretty, pretty fast runs there, you know, a few sub two forties and a lot of guys in the two forties. So, so yeah, people ran really fast, but, but yeah, they definitely had to work for it. There is no, no places to kind of like to ease up and, and yeah, stay off the gas pedal. So it was, it, it looked tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was like, you know, the people who the, the bike, that difficulty of that bike course didn't destroy them. And they were able to execute their nutrition. They ran fast, right? Mm -hmm. So I think those are the two key things when you're looking at your training going forward into this event in particular or events like this. Uh, if you're, you know, headed to another European race and like the one that you did, Jesse, in France, that these are things to consider. It's, you know, I think if you have an enormous amount of bike fitness where you can handle all of that and you know, take care of your nutrition on it, then you're going to be able to run well off of that. Right. But if you do sort of the reverse where you pay attention to a lot of, you know, fast running and, and the bike takes so much out of you that you're not able to access it, then you're going to run into trouble no matter, you know, no matter how flat and fast a run course is. So that that's a really important note when you're looking at your training long-term towards an event like this. Yeah, I mean, having run speed is great, but it only matters if you can access it, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. But cool. I mean, what's your over, you know, to, to sort of summarize thing, your overriding idea now on, you know, it's just a men's race, no women there, wasn't in Kona. You know, we're yet to, we're looking down the track here in October for the women only in Kona. Really interesting to see how this is, going to play out for the long term for our sport you know what's i think i think the feedback like we we're talking about is good you know people love the venue they love the course they love the atmosphere from the culture um you know i wonder how it felt with there being no female race there at all if that was something anyone really talked about if it was good if it was different if it was you know strange whatever um is this like a solid winner. I know Ironman's been throwing around a lot of different ideas over the years to how do we make this all work? And this was the first year, this is a new one. How is this going to work? Like, I wonder what the overriding takeaway on that dynamic where sort of phase one is done. Let's see how phase goes to, and then we'll be able, you know, I think in November and December, we're going to have a really good clear picture on how we all feel about it. But right now it's like phase one. Did you hear much about how people felt about it? Yeah, no, I, it sounded like everyone missed having the women there that it was, you know, it, I feel like, especially after uh, having women on a separate day so that you could kind of like watch both races, if you were in Hawaii for that. So you got to race one day spectator race. And so I, I think, yeah, I heard from some people that they did miss having the women's field there. I think some of that was absorbed by the fact that like Nice is a city. So there's, you know, it's, it's going to be big and crowded no matter what. Whereas like, you know, Kona, if the athletes aren't there, then it gets a little quieter. So, so yeah, I think that was, but I do think they were missed, but I, I think that 
I guess most people just seem to embrace the race and and the town and the people and say, hey, this is where we're at and try and everyone seemed pretty psyched on it. And and no one I guess no one seemed to be like hung up on what what it wasn't. They just seemed to be really embracing what it was, which is which was cool. It was good to see. And and hopefully, you know, I mean there I think that we've realized there is no perfect solution. Uh, you know, our sport is growing, which is great. And so having everyone racing all at the same time maybe isn't feasible anymore. And, you know, I, I think that's a great thing. And I think, but I do think it's like, well, you know, we can't rewind the clock and make that a possibility anymore. So I think that, yeah, I think people seem to be embracing the different options and, and you know, hopefully we can just try and keep it as a, a positive as we move forward. Yeah, I think that's a good opportunity. I think the main thing was, is they really focus on highlight the men's event and then focus and highlight the women's event and have full attention on each field, which I think is special, right? Yeah, and not have the women have to race on Thursday. Like get right. them to race on the weekend, yeah. Exactly. So so I think that those are those are good things. I do think that if there was any other answer, it might be that there's less qualification for world championships. And what I mean by that is that it's much tougher to get there and that the number of people who go are just a very select number of people and that is all in one venue um and there's so many other that gives people like a really big challenge and goal to work towards and it's very very special if you get there it it is now as well but even more so you know if the sport's evolving and it's growing and there's lots other opportunities to race out there then perhaps the world championships it's just even that much harder to go to and the the select number is only a very small selection of people that get to go and everyone races that's how we could fix the problem is of only so many people could race at once but i think this is like a nice way to try things for a little bit highlighting the women the men only and in a really really awesome venue and then highlighting the women only and you know swapping that it'll be it'll be good i think what's what's the it's meant to be like this for the next few years right next two years at least so uh, it'll be, you know, we only know when you make changes how it is after. That's when, that's when you get to evaluate. Right. How did it go afterwards? So it's, I think we said that a lot with when we hit the uh, COVID time. It was like, we'll know a lot more afterwards. So, right. so yeah. it's like one of those as well. It'd be, it'd be interesting. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, hopefully people um, glean some, some information on, you know, how maybe how the racing is different and maybe how to prepare a little bit differently for a race like this versus a race like Kona. Um, and yeah, can maybe go into it, go into a little better prepared next year. Nice. And then hit some of those cafes in Nice. <laughs> They're pretty cool. Yeah, get, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get some really good pastries, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse. It was really fun to chat with you about this. Uh, excited to see how it all expands and grows and what people learn from it. And yeah, cool performances. Kudos to everyone who raced there. Yeah, you're right. It was, uh, they ra- they raced super fast. I was a little bit jealous, but also like, whoa, that's fast. <laughs> Thanks.